0: We're looking at Daniel chapter 3 and God speaks so that we'll have a better grasp and understanding of reality. Let's ask him to be at work in us. Oh, great God, thank you that you reveal what is in your word, the Bible. And Father, please do help us to think clearly as we hear your word. Uh, Father, please do... Uh, Cause the things that we hear and understand to soak down into our conscience and will and passions and out into our lives. In the Lord Jesus, Amen. Your God is the thing you say yes to. Whatever things have influence on your life... Your God has more. Whoever has influence on your life, your God has more. Whatever or whoever has the last word is your God. Whatever or whoever wants to be the last and final decider of Who you spend your time with, what you spend your money on, what you long for and invest yourself in, wants to be your God. Is your God a little g God, or the big g God? In Exodus, after living through, after the living, true and loving and holy God rescued Israel and made them his people, he spoke to them at Mount Sinai. but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. Your God is the thing you say yes to. Whatever or whoever has influence on your life, your God has more. So when King Nebuchadnezzar commanded everyone everywhere to stop what they're doing, to stop serving whoever they're serving, so that they can bow to the image that he set up, the real question Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego faced was, is God, is our God the little G God or the big G God? Is our God the king who commands us or the God who brought Israel out of Egypt and put us in the king's hand? Is your God a little g God or the big g God? Let's listen to this ancient text that God speaks to us and then think about how it helps us. (coughs) Chapter one, (coughs) excuse me. Chapter one says God gave Jerusalem into Babylon's hand. The background is the nation's long-term disobedience to God's good commands, including those two I just read. Uh, that was the ones about idolatry. It was judgment and discipline when God gave Jerusalem into Babylon's hands. When they were in their late teens, God gave Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah into Nebuchadnezzar's hand. Chapter 2 finished with Daniel ruling the province of Babylon, overseeing overseeing her wise men, and getting top jobs for the renamed, his renamed friends Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. Chapter 3 jumps forward in time, probably 20 years or so, uh, from 602 B.C. to 586 B.C. But what's important is that in between there is that Babylon finally destroyed Jerusalem's walls, destroyed her temple. Whatever has happened, enough time has passed, and enough has happened in Nebuchadnezzar's experience, that he's no longer seeing life through the lens of what God showed him in chapter 2. Yeah, we're still in chapter 1-2. In chapter 2, he dreamed an image of a person made from head to feet of gold, this should be an image, silver, bronze, iron, iron mixed with clay. Nebuchadnezzar saw that image and he saw it smashed by a stone that became a worldwide mountain. Daniel told Nebuchadnezzar the dream storyline and the dream's meaning. Nebuchadnezzar is the gold head. He and his kingdom are golden, but they'll be replaced and replaced and replaced until God himself established his eternal kingdom that will never be replaced. God alone rules now and always. Almost at the end of chapter 2, chapter 2, verse 47, Nebuchadnezzar said, Truly your God is God of gods and Lord of kings and a revealer of mysteries. 2.47, at some level he believed it. Then, chapter 2, but not now, chapter 3. Chapter 3, he makes a better image. It tells a different story. It is all gold. Uh, 2.7 meters wide by 27 meters high. Ah uh, that's another arm length on my sort of my span, fingertip to fingertip wide. It's ten times that high. Basically ten flights of domestic stairs going upstairs ten times that sort of height. Except there are no stairs, it's just a big uh, it's a big image, and it's set up in the middle of a flat a spread out flat land of Jura. Everything looks up to it. Everyone looks up to it. It's big for the time that it was made, but its point isn't really its size. The point it makes is that it's made of all gold. Head, chest, middle, legs, feet, gold. Through Daniel, God told Nebuchadnezzar that he is the head of gold. Chapter 2, verse 37. Nebuchadnezzar is the king of kings to whom the God of heaven has given the kingdom, the power, the might and the glory and into who, whose hands God has given wherever they dwell the children of man, the beasts of the field, the birds of the heavens making him rule over them all. He is the head. King now, but not always. Another kingdom will rise up. He'll be replaced and replaced and replaced and replaced then the eternal kingdom. So do you hear what the gold statue is saying? It's saying Babylon, 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 always Babylon. Nebuchadnezzar has decided that his kingdom will never fall. The future is all gold. Babylon will never fail the golden image that Nebuchadnezzar set up says Nebuchadnezzar rules now and always the story it tells makes him happy so he invites everyone to come and tell the same story everyone in verse 2 is listed uh, people from highest rank to lowest rank governor general, prime minister, front benchers uh, through to state and local and minor officials they're all summoned and they all come That's why you get the whole long list repeated the second time in verse 3. So we know they all come, all of them drop, whatever they're doing, they obey. That's what people do when uh, the person with most influence on them tells them to do something. They stop doing whatever else they were doing and they do what he's told them to do. So they all gather, verse 3. They gather for the dedication of the image that King Nebuchadnezzar set up. And they stand before the image that Nebuchadnezzar set up. Imagine that crowd gathered simply because the king said, Come, spread out across the, the plain of Judah with the, the golden image in the middle, then the king's herald proclaims to them the king's the king's command. He says, You are commanded, O peoples, nations, languages, that when you hear the sound of the horn, pipe, lyre, trigon, harp, bagpipe, and every kind of music, you are to fall down and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. And whoever does not fall down and worship shall immediately be cast into a burning, fiery furnace. Two options. Option one, hear the music, bow and live. Option two, hear the music, refuse to bow and die. Imagine that crowd stretching out around the golden image. The music plays and everyone chooses option one. They bow down. All of them. All the peoples, all the peoples, nations and languages. They're all in Nebuchadnezzar's hand and they know it. They bow and worship the golden image that King Nebuchadnezzar has set up. They proclaim his rule. They declare his authority. your God is a thing you say yes to. Whatever things have influence on your life, your God has more. Whatever has influence on your life, sorry, whoever has influence on your life, your God has more. And nothing and no one has more influence on the lives of these men, women, and children than Nebuchadnezzar. He really does rule them. It's easy to imagine Nebuchadnezzar's joy at having them all bow. His delight. He rules everyone everywhere. And he's enjoying seeing people from everywhere bowing to the golden image that he set up to represent his rule and that he rules now and always. By bowing, everyone says Nebuchadnezzar rules now and always. Everyone except three. Three. Verses 8 to 11. Uh, Some of Babylon's wise men uh, remind him of the command, bow or burn. (laughs) Then they say, there are certain Jews whom you have appointed over the affairs of the province of Babylon, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego. These men, O king, pay no attention to you. They do not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. And Nebuchadnezzar is furious. He's rogable. He's the king of the world. Everyone knows it. Everyone obeys him. And three of his own senior civil servants are disobeying him. They're brought before him and he's a reasonable man. So he asks, Is it true, O Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego, that ye do not serve my gods or worship the golden image that I have set up? I guess they've been nodding as he said it. Because he carries on. He says, let's try again. You've got two options. Option one, bow and worship the golden image that I made. Do that and you'll live. Option two, refuse and you'll be thrown into the burning fiery furnace. Bow or burn. So these men who we met in the late teens back in chapter 1, They're now in their late thirties. The the king knows enough about them to know that they don't bow to his gods because of their god. He makes the connection between what, between that and what he sees them doing. They're not bowing to his image because of their god. So at the end of verse 15, he says, Who is the God who will deliver you out of my hands? What's he expecting them to say? No God. He obviously thinks that there is no God who can deliver them from his hands. He can think of no God who can or will intervene. Chapter 2, Babylon's wise men acted as if their gods were silent. Here Babylon's king acts as if his gods, all the gods, are powerless. Or at least they have less power than he has. He is the great and powerful one. He rules now. Everyone lives, everyone's life is in his hand. The lives of these three Jews are in his hand. Now, He's right. None of his gods are able to deliver from his hands. But Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego trust a different God. He is not like the gods of the nations. He is a God who does intervene. A God who is all-powerful. A God who controls everything. The king gave them two options. In his mind the choice is obvious Hear the music, bow and live Option one But they say we'll take option two Hear the music, stand Refuse to bow and be thrown into the burning Fiery furnace And they say one of two things Is going to happen when you throw us in Either our God Will deliver us Or our God will not deliver us We know he can Deliver us but we'll leave the decision as to whether he delivers us or not to him. You see in verses 17 and 18, they say, If this be so, if you throw us into the fiery furnace, our God whom we serve is able to deliver us from the burning fiery furnace, and he will deliver us out of your hand, O king. But if not, if our God does not deliver us from death... Be it known to you, O king, that we will not serve your gods or worship the golden image that you have set up. So essentially, our God is able to deliver us. We expect he will. But if he doesn't, we won't be worshipping your gods or your golden image that you set up. They'd rather die. You see their faith? They're convinced that God stands far above the king who threatens them. They're convinced God cares for his people. They're convinced God is able to deliver. They're convinced God knows and will do what's best. And they act as if all those things are true. That's faith. It's taking God at his word believing what he says reality is more than we can see reality is what God reveals so their thoughts about this situation are God is above the king who threatens us he cares for his people, he is able to deliver us he can be trusted to do what's best that's what they know but it's not just up in their head knowledge is it Their consciences and their wills are tuned to the truth about God. Their conscience screams it would be wrong to bow to a human rule, a human ruler and to false gods. Their wills decide to refuse to bow even under threat of death. (laughs) A painful death of that. They act as if God can rescue because they're convinced He can. They act as if God knows and will do what's best because they're convinced He does know and He will do what's best. Now if Nebuchadnezzar was furious when he heard they hadn't obeyed, he hasn't been getting any happier while they've explained all this to him. The all-powerful king blows his top. He orders the furnace to be heated seven times hotter. He orders his mighty soldiers to tie up Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego and throw them into that seven times hotter furnace. And everyone does exactly what they're being told. Uh, The three are quickly tied up. The the cloaks, tunics, hats, other garments are still on. The, The three are thrown into the burning fiery furnace. The furnace is so hot that the fire kills the mighty soldiers who do the throwing. At the end of verse 23, we see those three tied up as they fall into the superheated, burning, fiery furnace. Everyone does exactly as the king commanded. With peoples, nations, and language gathered, uh, from the most senior officials to the blokes who stoked the furnace, every word the king spoke has been followed to the letter. Even the dead bodies of the men who threw the three into the furnace declare his absolute rule. His mighty soldiers chose to blister and burn and die rather than fail to do what he commanded them to do. For all intents and purposes, he was their God. Whatever else had influence on their lives, Nebuchadnezzar had more. But look at the three. Whatever influence Nebuchadnezzar had on their lives, their God had more. They obey and honor Him. They trust Him. And in verses 24 to 27, we see their God, the living and true, loving and holy God. We see Him stand up. We see Him deliver. We see Him save these men who trust Him. Nebuchadnezzar sees them, not bound in the middle of the fire, but walking in the middle of the fire. I forget about walking across a bed of coals. These, are in, these, these men are in super hot flames, and they're walking around. But there are four of them now. Nebuchadnezzar sees the fourth. Verse 25 he says uh, he's a son of the gods. Verse 27 he calls him an angel. So who is this fourth? Is the fourth the son of God? Some people reckon that this is God the son hundreds of years before he took on flesh. But it's hundreds of years before he took on flesh. I think... Uh, It's safer to suggest that this fourth person is an angel of the Lord. Uh, Like in chapter 6 where Daniel says that God sent an angel to rescue him uh, in the den of lions. Not sure about that, but we can say with confidence God saved his people. They trusted him and he saved them. men are walking uh, in the flames with the angel they walk out of the flames they come out unharmed their clothes aren't even burnt their clothes aren't even smoky the ropes which bound them are gone that's all that's changed and verse 27 the leaders who bowed to Nebuchadnezzar's uh, image they cried in to see what the living And true, loving and holy God has done, saved his people. Nebuchadnezzar himself glimpses reality. Verse 28, he says, Blessed be the God of Shadrach, Meshach and Abednego, uh, who has sent his angel and delivered his servants, who trusted Him in him and set aside the king's command, and yielded up their bodies rather than serve and worship any god except their own god. He can't hold himself back, though, from giving a command. Therefore I make a decree. Any people, nation, or language that speaks anything against the God of Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego shall be torn limb from limb, and their houses laid in ruins, for there is no other God who is able to rescue in this way. Then the king promoted Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego in the province of Babylon. So he sees, he glimpses truth about God. He speaks it. But that's a little strange when he decides to defend God by making that command. As strange still that he keeps calling God their God rather than his God. He's impressed by their choice to disobey him and to obey God. He's impressed by what God did. He's glimpsing reality. He's seeing uh, some of the enormity and grandeur of who God is. But he's not yet leaning in to what he sees about God. He's not yet leaning in and trusting. Now, I'm partly saying that because I've read chapter 4. We'll look at that next week. Partly saying he's not yet leaning in fully because I've read chapter 4. Next week for that. So let's uh, think about Uh, how this chapter lands into our heads and hearts and Mondays to Sundays. Your God is the thing you say yes to. Whatever things have influence on your life, your God has more. Whoever has influence on your life, your God has more. Whatever or whoever has the last word, Is your God. Whatever or whoever wants to be the last and final decider of who you spend your time with, what you spend your money on, what you long for and invest yourself in, wants to be your God. Is your God a little g-God or THE big g-God? There will be tiny decisions Monday to Sunday. There will be big moments uh, when when friends uh, or, or your boss challenges you. In all of them, a helpful question to ask is, what am I going to say yes to? What or who is going to have most influence on me? Is my God a little G God? Or the living and true, loving and holy, big G God? He is able to save. He is worthy of our trust. Choose wisely. Let's pray. Father, please do grip us with the reality of who you are as the one God who is truly worthy Father we ask that in the Monday to Sunday little decisions we will be confronted by the choice the choices that face us to to continue to treat you as God or to treat other things as though they are more worthy We ask that when we uh, face those big moment challenges, that we'll courageously continue to trust you, confident that you are the God who rules over all things, that you are able to save. In the Lord Jesus. Amen.